that's really what I think the you know any of our STEM efforts is, is about is like you can do anything just need access. From the Outreach Department at the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired in Austin, Texas, this is A Sense of Texas. Here is your host, Emily Coleman. Welcome to A Sense of Texas. I'm Emily Coleman. Our campus recently received generous donations to create a makerspace and the Rosa Gonzalez Broadcast Studio. Chris Carell and Sue O'Brien provide instruction, mentoring, and modeling to support student empowerment in these areas, and they are going to tell you how. Hi, I'm Chris Carell. I'm the STEM specialist at Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired. I am also an assistive technology teacher. It's, it's a long story, but I've, I've been at TSBVI in some capacity since 2016. I started volunteering, teaching coding after school with Sue. Hi, I'm Sue, and I'm a Braille transcriber adapted materials specialist. I also teach uh, an assistive technology class, and I co-teach computer science with uh, Chris Carell. So the two of you have been involved with a lot of really new, exciting projects on campus, getting students involved in some new things. And um, the first one I want to talk about is uh, the Rosa Gonzalez Broadcast Studio, which was brought to us by a very generous donor. Um, tell me a little bit about that and what it entails and kind of what's going into it here on campus. It's been a, a very um, interesting project getting a space set up for students that's accessible in which they can record audio and video. And it's, it's been a lot of learning um, for both the students and for us on uh, the limitations of the current technology and coming up with uh, adaptations. And it, for students in their home district, they don't always get a chance to do these. There's this huge push for 21st century learning. And so it's amazing to have students be able to come here and get these opportunities that they might not have in their home district, but their peers might have. Everyone's super interested in it. It makes our jobs as teachers easier because the students, when they are making things, they're engaged, they're excited. Um, they all are interested in you know TikTok and social media. So having a place where they can learn about creating content um, in an academic setting that they can extend in their personal lives. I agree with that. One of the um Things, aspects of the studio that has really impressed me is uh, the students, they know. <laughs> they come in there and they just kind of know what to do. They know how to hook up their iPads or whatever they're going to use, and uh, uh, and they're ready to start recording. You do not have to do a lot of encouraging to get them to start being creative. I wonder if that has to do with, a, like you were saying, creating content for social media and other online stuff. Is that... A, the interest, do you think? That's why they have some of those experiences already? Oh, I do. I also think many of them have an interest in creating music. Mm. One of our students yeah. already has a song on Spotify. Really? <laughs> so, yeah, he and he recorded it in there. And using um, TikTok to promote his, yeah. his songs. Yeah. Also, yeah. yeah. The, they all know what they, they want to do um, in the studio. It's just us kind of guiding it and making sure that they're, you know, doing things um, in a way that when, to enrich their academic learning mm -hmm. as well as um, teaching them, I guess, more efficient, more accessible ways of doing it. 
Now, do you also discuss sort of um, the reality of online posting and like the the ethical responsibilities tied to that, some of that stuff? Mm-hmm. And we've had a, in class a discussion about fair use, mm. uh, educational use. Um, they know they can't go online and start, you know, taking other people's works and using it and calling it their own. Mm. So, yes, we do. And also, you know, being aware of that something you put out there today is going to be there for a long time and how will that impact you or will you, you know, will you still be happy with that content <laughs> representing you, say, 10 years down the, down the road? Mm-hmm. The Internet's written in ink, you know, we tell that to our students. And at the beginning of the year, um, we go over our, you know, digital citizenship policy and um, constantly throughout the year, you know, we're, we're providing reminders during projects. And I think as well, it's been a really interesting talking to the students about, um, you know, fair use and um, copyright. And when they're looking for material to, re- you know, add to their recording, um, what does it mean to, you know, have something that's in the public domain or like something that's licensed? And it's it's a really cool topic to discuss with students because they don't get that a lot of times. Yeah, it's such a, uh, like, it's one thing to talk about digital citizenship, but to have real-life examples to point to. And Mm -hmm. I love that, that the internet is written in ink. That's so good. I, uh, you know, I've got teenagers, and the first time my teenage daughter got a social media account, the first thing she did was post something, you know, drop an F-bomb in there. And I was like, you you can't know, you know, like that. And she's like, well, I didn't say it. I was lip syncing. And I was like, if, even if it's on your post, you know, it's these tough life lessons. But to have it happen in an instructional setting, and it's such a, it's such a great thing for these kids. I think one thing that made it very relevant uh, was a student was also one of the students was asking about fair use, but also through the concern about well, if I post my song, is it protected? Yeah. yeah. So you know, once they're creating content, they they start to feel uh, what it might be like if you're someone else and stole mm-hmm. content from yeah. them because they don't want their things stolen. Or do I have to pay royalty? Yeah, yes. <laughs> if this takes off, you know, am I going to get paid for it? Yeah, or is yeah, yes. It that was go a to someone else. Yeah, that was a probably a thirty-minute discussion. Is like, how do I go about getting paid for my work? <laughs> yeah. Now you mentioned about getting equipment that's accessible. How challenging has that been to get hardware and software that our students can access independently? It's it's not easy. I think. The level of access of all our different student populations varies so widely, and I think that's the main challenge. Like, there's definitely accessible options, but it's very cumbersome to edit audio with a screen reader or with like voiceover. It's it's a long process, and so we've been looking at a, a variety of different softwares, and I've been talking to some uh, blind podcasters and getting their recommendations and their workflows. What we've been really trying to do with the students is get things kind of shot in one take, kind of getting it all recorded with as minimal editing as possible. As far as hardware goes, we're actually using basically just industry standard tools. Um, We have, you know, Zoom recorders. We have uh, Focusrite audio interfaces. We use, uh, you know, SM58 microphones. 
um, with stands. And it's just a matter of keeping every workstation um, that each student works at uh, standardized in the same and making sure it returns to the exact same place. Mm -hmm. So the first, you know, two, three lessons in the, in the space is just entry and exit routines. Um, let's get the space um, oriented to the space and figure out where everything is, and then let's put it back. And that way, um, we can kind of guarantee this standard experience. Um, simplifying things, so instead of plugging in everything, they just plug in a connection that plugs into a USB hub, and um, just making it all standard has been the, the goal of accessibility. And I think I want to agree with how important that is because as we've incorporated the incorporated that startup routine now it just it's just like a couple a minute or two and students come in they've got their devices their laptops set up they're connected they're using a laptop they're connected to a monitor they can do it all themselves and it takes just a minute or two mm-hmm. now you uh, mentioned teaching which of course is the point of this uh, what kind of curriculum are you working on or are you trying to develop sort of our own process or lessons for our students yeah yeah well right now it's all project based Mm -hmm. Um, and so a lot of it is understanding where students are at with their tech skills and then we've kind of been developing projects based on that to hit their tech skills Um, Sue and I's job we're we're not actually teaching you know an AV class or curriculum we're teaching technology Mm -hmm. and so all of the projects are just a means to teach assistive technology skills and to get the students more familiar with things that they'll use, um, you know, either further along in their schooling career or at a job like email, you know, text editing, word processing. And the the AV skills, you know, the audiovisual skills, are they grab the, the interest of the student and it, it provides a context that's realistic and meaningful to them. Yeah, it's not teaching tech in kind of an isolated sense, but if they're working on a project, um, like the the student that invited you to um, do the recording mm-hmm. for the introduction to the STEM webpage, so he had to write an email. So using Gmail was uh, one part of his lesson. Uh, he had to um, <clears throat> come up with a plan for what were, and they had to write a script. And so using Google Docs. And so it's a way to, to when you have a project, it's a way to incorporate a lot of real-life tech skills into something. And if they enjoy the project, <laughs> you've got buy-in to do this. Mm-hmm. Now you brought up project-based learning, so I'm going to pivot yeah. to an, uh, to another thing that you guys have done a lot of work on, which is um, a makerspace that's sort of, it's not really in one place right now. I see it, yeah. you know, we have a developing makerspace in, on one part of campus and then one that's already well underway in our uh, LRC. Would you want to share some of the stuff that we're doing in the makerspace settings? Right now, uh, we have a makerspace in the LRC and a digital fabrication lab as well in the LRC. In the spring, we are, uh, hopefully we'll be completing the build out of the uh, makerspace, standalone makerspace in the fine arts building, which I'm super excited about. We're gonna transport a lot of the maker materials and tools, get some new ones and uh, set up a, uh, like a, just a static makerspace where students can come to and teachers can host classes in yeah, that was something students really enjoy using the laser cutter. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, we also have some students right now that are <clears throat> going to learn how to use the 3D printers themselves. Uh, but this fall, we did laser cutter projects. Uh, and again, we came up with the idea, or Chris did, of they would uh, design a box and uh, have that cut out in wood on the laser cutter. Uh, or another material if they wanted. But what was interesting is every student had, they added their own little image to it, something that was, uh, y you know, that they were interested in. One of our students has a ninja <laughs> engraved on his, and another one has a Formula One race car mm. engraved on his. So it's a way for them to, again, it may have been a, a set project, but there were still ways for them to be creative and really express themselves. The project is just, you know, they make a box on the laser cutter um, and then they document it in a presentation. So they're learning these skills like, you know, how to navigate an unfamiliar web page, how to, you know, download a file and how to upload a file to a, you know, web app, and then how to uh, make a presentation and, you know, they're, they're doing emailing and text editing. And so they're just practicing these skills um, in the context of an, making a physical item, which I think is really exciting for the students. The other thing is just was a, the whole concept was a simple box, but that box was then um, kind of adapted to a piece of equipment that is now being used on the coffee cart. And so the next time the coffee cart's in our building, if you'll look, there's a yellow box that's got three cup holders. And that was designed by one of our students. I also wanted to talk about the photo studio as well. Um, right across from our laser cutter, we've set up a photo studio with the help of um, David on the media team. Um, and so in that photo studio, we have just one switch that turns on all these static lights and uh, you know a nice paper backdrop. And so the students can get these really great product shots. And I've done a lot of research and I found the most accessible professional camera is actually an iPhone Pro. Yeah. And so we have an iPhone Pro and if you turn on voiceover, it'll tell you where objects are aligned in the frame. And then the students aren't only using a laptop, but they're also using their voiceover skills. And so we just get, you know, cross device, cross platform, which happens in the real world. I mean, we all use multiple devices daily. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, I think part of this, too, with project-based learning is taking students through the, the design process from the beginning to the end and setting one of the things we do is set due dates. So they're going through a process just like they would if they were do, working at a real job. Uh, having to email, collaborate with others, and when we're doing that, when we were doing your your interview <laughs> or your uh, recording, uh, the uh, the student had a client. <laughs> Chris was the client, but he, Chris came in and told him exactly what he wanted for the web page. And then the student had to design a plan. How was he going to create that product? Who did he have to ask? He had to email you and ask. And uh, so now he's in the process of he's got the video downloaded on his computer and he's using um, a piece of software to start editing that. He's made a decision over which take he liked best. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he's got, he knows he's got a due date coming up for this project. I think one thing I've learned as a teacher is that I'm pointing the way and I need to step back and mm -hmm. let them fail and reiterate and build build what they want to build instead of what I'm like mm -hmm. telling them to build. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of times students kind of want this 
like step-by-step algorithm um, to build something. And so I've learned, you know, to give them the, the design challenge, the problem, and then they have to come up with a solution and they have to figure out their algorithm, which is way messier <laughs> than just building something step-by-step. And so it's been a real learning opportunity for me as a teacher to step back and let them let them do what they're going to do um, instead of be like, well, I would do it that way, you know. So <laughs> This is sort of the big difference that we're talking a lot about now at TSBVI of teaching independence versus teaching empowerment. Mm-hmm. And it's so cool to hear the ways that you're empowering students to come up with their own ideas, to find their own way to do something, um, because that's real life problem solving. And uh, we want them to have the confidence to do that on their own. Yeah, a, a lot of technology, um, you know, teaching, it's it's kind of like, you know, with screen readers, you just follow this these steps to answer your email. You follow these steps to navigate a web page. And so if, if you teach it in that context, then you're not teaching troubleshooting. You're not teaching problem solving. It's, it's way messier than just this step-by-step guide. So bringing it into the context, I mean, we can do the step-by-step guide for the introduction, but then, you know, we need to bring it into a context of real work. And then the only way to learn those troubleshooting skills and problem-solving skills is to engage with the technology, engage with the project, and and just get it done. Have uh, the students expressed some, like, career aspirations after being in these settings or job opportunities, internships maybe they want to do? Well, one of our students uh, just recently told us that she wants to be an engineer for NASA. Uh, nice. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, I mean, she just stood up in the middle of class and announced that. <laughs> it was it's really great because that was the design project for another student. The other student wanted a rocket 3D printed model. Um, and she was like, oh, I'll do that one. Yeah. So yeah. It was really cool. Yeah. That's awesome. I know, like, with the broadcast studio, we were hoping, too, that some students would see sort of a career along those lines. Um, are any of them talking about that yet? Or Oh, yeah. Like, oh, we, yeah. we have a student who loves storytelling and writing, and they're getting so into we're doing a, a podcast in Sue's class. Um, what is it called? What is it called? Horror, again? Horror Street After Midnight. Ooh. Yeah. So the Love students uh, have been working with our phenomenal English teacher Patrick Healy uh-huh. um, for the scary stories back in October, and so they have they've written these scary stories, and so they're going they're recording them or they're asking uh, you know someone else to record them their voice, and they are producing their own podcast. They're going to have around three episodes here, and. Um, yeah, they've been getting so into it. And one student in particular who loves writing and storytelling is like, this is great. Like, this is what yeah. I want to do. Mm-hmm. This might be totally random. Did you have anything to do with somebody that came in and was teaching kids how to uh, pick locks? <laughs> uh, it's officially locksmithing. Oh. It's uh, learning how locks work yes. and how they're made and then as well as how they're broken. Um <laughs> Yes. So, How did that happen? Well, uh, so a friend of mine who works at Ace Academy has gotten interested in uh, locksmithing um, <laughs> with his students, which are a group of middle school students. And he brought it to me because he's like, this is an amazing tactile skill. And so I, 
Uh, there's a lock picking group that meets up once every two weeks in Austin at a coffee shop and um, just teach people how to how locks work and then as well how to pick them. And so I started going to that and I was like, this is really cool. And our students have um, a lot of needs and one of those needs is fine motor skills. Mm-hmm. And so it, this it's like a, kind of like a fine motor skill puzzle almost. Yeah. Um, and so a YouTuber who's a cybersecurity professional uh, reached out because he had done a uh, series with a blind student who reached out to him and asked him, hey, I want to learn how to pick locks. And so he, along with his partner, developed uh, these 3D models and this kind of scaffolding of teaching um, that was accessible. And he reached out and he wanted to do a workshop at the school. We were like, yeah. And so I, you know, I talked to the, the principal and um, got everyone's approval. And the students had a great time. And what was really cool as well is before that lesson, um, we actually had the middle schoolers from Ace Academy come to the school and have an O&M lesson that was done by our TSBVI middle schoolers. So oh, cool. our middle schoolers um, were working with them on a, a scavenger hunt, essentially an O&M scavenger hunt, and just talking about basic O&M skills. And we had an O&M instructor come and give like a, a you know, 10, 20 minute like introduction to the O&M world. And then they, um, they went on the scavenger hunt and they came back and, you know, all interacted together. And it's cool to have a community like building for these students and a leadership opportunity for them as well. Yeah, I was so, just so impressed with uh, the students' attention that afternoon. I think that <clears throat> session lasted about two and a half hours and not one student got up from their chair. <laughs> they were so challenged by this. And there was a series like of a very easy lock to pick and they gradually got harder. I think there were four levels mm-hmm. and it was amazing how they just stuck with it until they got to that final level. Wow. Yeah. It was really funny. Over the Thanksgiving break, I got uh, sent the video. Oh, yeah. And I got a text from um, my colleague and friend, uh, Greg Stilson. I don't know if you know Greg. Mm -hmm. And uh, his question was, you know, what's happening at your school? (laughs) And I said, what do you mean? And I said, I don't know anything about this. And uh, he said, he said, I've already emailed the other blind school superintendents and asked them why they're not doing things like TSBVI to actually teach kids real life stuff. <laughs> yeah. So, like he was a big fan of it. It's, I mean, it's, it great it's a see. career skill and yeah. it's one of the few career skills that is tactile mm-hmm. and non, non-visual, mm-hmm. which is amazing. And so uh, next spring we'll be starting the locksmithing club, actually, oh. part of the Makerspace Club. That's awesome. And um, we're working um, with uh, open source curriculum that my friend Ken designed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the students will actually be able to give back to this project with um, adaptations and hoping to get my computer science class who are learning 3D and 2D modeling skills um, by learning how to program um, in Open SCAD, which is a programming language to make 3D and 2D models. And I'm hoping to get them actually building some of these models and improving upon them for that lock smithing curriculum. Well, anything else you guys want to add? The student who has told us that she wants to work for NASA, three years ago I had a conversation with her and she was she had just arrived at TSBVI and she was very upset because she hadn't been allowed at her school to participate in Hour of Code. 
because no one knew how to make this accessible for her or what to do. And here she is now wanting to be an engineer for NASA because she's got the skills and the ability to do these things, but she's, she just needed access to it. And that's really what I think the, you know, any of our STEM efforts is, is about is like, you can do anything, just need access. Do you know an infant or toddler in Texas who may have a vision problem? They may qualify for free services. Support from a teacher of students with visual impairment may increase a child's success in school and life. Call 817-740-7530 to find out more. That's 817-740-7530. TSBVI is continuing to find ways to show off our student achievements and will be adding content to our website. Check out Made at TSBVI within Campus Resources at tsbvi.edu to find out what I mean. From the TSBVI Outreach Department and A Sense of Texas, I'm Emily Coleman. See you next time. Quick programming note, as we come up to the holidays, we will be taking a short break. We will be back with a new episode on January 15th. This has been a presentation of the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired Outreach Department. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics to cover in future episodes, please contact us at podcast at tsbvi.edu.